Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Dimmitt. Today's guest is Haley Franklin Foltz. Haley is a former competitive dancer and a certified nutrition coach. For the past several years, Haley has been using nutrition as a tool to help her husband, Matt Foltz, become one of the top climbers in the world, and we've all seen how well that has turned out. If you listen to my episode with Matt, and we're hoping to get a little more of the gritty details about Matt's nutrition, say how he cuts weight to peak for a project like Hypnotized Minds, this episode is the one you've been waiting for. We really geeked out in this episode about all things nutrition and specifically about optimizing nutrition for rock climbing performance. We talked about meal timing to optimize protein synthesis, about carbs and why Haley doesn't think they are evil or should be avoided, Haley's thoughts on supplements for climbers, the fat loss strategies that Matt uses during a cutting phase, three foods to avoid, how to navigate holidays when you are making your nutrition a priority, Haley and Matt's business, OTG Strength, and we talked about what you can expect if you choose to work with Haley for nutrition coaching. I put a bunch of stuff in the show notes for this episode, including a summary of Haley's biggest bang-for-your-buck nutrition recommendations, some of her favorite holiday recipes, a list of her go-to healthy snacks and treats, and links to OTG Strength and the nutritional assessment for new clients. You can find all of that over at thenuggetclimbing.com. I want to say a massive thank you to all of you who have signed up for Patreon in the past few weeks to get access to follow-ups. I've got a ways to go before this podcast is a sustainable project for me financially, but I'm feeling blown away by the support in the past few weeks, and I'm optimistic that we'll get to a point where this podcast is my job. That would be a dream come true for me. I really love doing this. So thank you guys so much for the support. And if you can't support the podcast financially at the moment, I totally understand. You can still help out by continuing to tell your friends, by sharing your favorite episodes, or even sharing a rating on Apple Podcasts. I think that helps somehow. I'm not totally sure. If you have no idea what I'm talking about with the follow-ups, you can find a teaser for a follow-up I did with Drew Ruana in your episode feed that will tell you more, or you can go to thenuggetclimbing.com and click on the big announcement on the homepage. Okay, that was a little longer of an intro than normal, so thank you for listening through that. And without further ado, please enjoy this delightfully geeky nutritional deep dive with Haley Franklin Foltz. Hello. Hi. Hi. How, How are, are you doing? I'm really well. How are you? I'm good. Good. Uh, do we have a time limit today? Do you want to wrap up by a certain time? Um, not necessarily. Okay. Great. No, no. I'd say whatever feels natural. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Awesome. Well, how's your day? How has your day been today? It's been productive. Yeah, you guys um, are making the move, huh? 
Yeah. I feel yeah, like lots of huge learning curves. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I just talked to Matt. I feel like he teased me a little bit because he's like, yeah, we have this dream, you know, maybe in a couple years, maybe next year, we'll see. And then like a week later, you guys are busy moving. Yeah, I know. It's been interesting because a few times we've we've almost made the jump and okay. then we um, realize that maybe we don't know enough about this situation or like one, we made a deposit on an RV, for example, about a month and a half ago and then realized we they needed it gone within the week. We <laughs> had nowhere to put it. Oh. We didn't know where to store it yet. We didn't you know, we hadn't figured out quite what insurance would look like or financing and stuff like that. So yeah. the timing just really wasn't right. But it's all kind of a learning process. Like if it's not good timing now, then you're supposed to be learning something. You know? <laughs> so, I like yeah, that. but it's exciting. Cool. Yeah. So are you guys actively moving into it right now? Yeah. Yeah. It's parked next to our apartment. <laughs> and so we're slowly but surely making in there some like small uh, maintenance tweaks we have to make on it too, mm. you know, thing for parts and stuff, but it's no, by no means a clunker. So <laughs> good. good. Awesome. You won't be stranded yeah. on the side of some road stuck bouldering on the moon board in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what happened with that? He, he was joking about the toy hauler thing. Are you guys actually doing that? Um, no, we don't have a toy hauler. We had thought about getting a toy hauler for a few reasons, but the pull behind trailers just ended up being kind of too much when mm. we'd have to figure out the proper tow vehicle as well and we currently didn't have like we didn't have any of it we just had our two little kias <laughs> so and driving it alone is a learning curve the most sure. like, the heaviest we either of us have ever driven is a truck or a van like a family van <laughs> so a motorhome is the next best step to learn something long versus the turning radius of mm. something you're towing Okay. So maybe that'll be in the future. I've seen some really awesome custom-built fifth wheels that are basically tiny homes built like a fifth wheel that you mm. can tow. And some of those look really cool. But to just, you know, spend maybe $100,000 on something that we're not sure yet, this will give us instead a chance to get to know what we like, what we don't like, what we wish was situated differently or mm -hmm. things like that before another option. And at the very least, it's a good you know, three to five year transition into a sticks and bricks, if that's our next step, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's exciting. Do, do you guys have a agenda as far as where you're headed when you're hitting the road, that sort of thing? Yeah, we'll be around here for about roughly another month. Um, Matt has a few projects he wants to prioritize before we officially take off. Okay. And then we need to leave with enough cushion to get to Idaho for Thanksgiving through the new year is our plan okay so mm -hmm. and then from there probably uh vegas okay fun yeah cool does uh does matt have family in idaho yeah we both do actually oh, you both do? okay yeah so our family is kind of funny we met in middle school right so you met in middle school yeah we went to the oh that is school. amazing uh-huh. And then the same <laughs> high school. And then we went different directions for college, but we were still both local. And so our families, ironically, though we never hung out outside of school until we graduated, our families live right around the block from each other. So it's literally a four to six minute walk. It's the exact same neighborhood. That is fantastic. <laughs> which makes it perfect for Christmas and all because I yeah. can just walk back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. All the families get along then 
all the family members? Yeah, it's kind of funny because they don't really get together on their own Mm -hmm. or a lot when we're together. But Matt's side of our family sees me as family and my side of family has seen Matt as their family even before we started dating. Okay. So, (laughs) like, they're comfortable with each other. They just, you know, wouldn't get together without us quite yet. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Well, that's super fun. I've got so I'm so excited to have you on and there's so much I want to talk to you about so um me too yeah, yeah you ready well, like, how have to, you to been dive doing into lately, it actually what was that you didn't, update, you didn't update me on how you've been doing lately <laughs> um i have been doing very well i'm in rifle colorado right now oh. and uh really enjoying my time here good the weather's amazing people are still here but it's quieted out or it's the the crowds have thinned out a little bit and conditions are really good and I haven't spent much time here until this trip, so it's it's really fun to kind of settle in and get to know it a little bit better and having a great time. Good. See, I'm not sure how close Rifle is to Mount Evans or Estes. Is it close to either? I think it's three hours away, roughly. It's um, west on the 70, almost about an hour from Grand Junction, an hour east of Grand okay. Junction. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you make it up north a little bit, then maybe we could all go climbing. Oh, that'd be so fun. Yeah. Because, yeah, we'll, like I said, we'll be here for a few more weeks, and that'd be really cool to officially meet you in person. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I, I will, I will uh, be heading that way at some point, and I will definitely give you a call. Cool. Tr- try to make it happen. On that note, it was really fun to talk to Matt about hypnotized minds and, you know, yeah. you being out there supporting him when it was 30 degrees outside. You know, he said you're not a climber, but you love watching him climb. Have you, have you done any climbing? Has it ever, has your own climbing ever been exciting to you or have you thought about trying it more or anything like that? Or you just enjoy watching? Um, kind of yes and no. So dancing was my thing growing up. So everything lower body, full body movements, functional, I love. And so I inherently love the, uh, physics behind movement and um, can appreciate the hard work, determination, coordination, and grace that goes with climbing, similarly hmm. to ballet specifically in the discipline, technique, and like building blocks that makes something quote unquote look easy to everyone because mm-hmm. that's how Matt's climbing looks to me as I understand the grace and ease that I see there that is actually, you know, coded by years and years of experience and hard work. And so for me, climbing has been fun when Matt sees something that he things I would specifically like, then I'll hop on it. And every once in a while, he'll create a boulder of some kind on a slab at tension for me specifically. Okay. And so that's fun. I like tension holds because they're soft for my baby fingers and skin. <laughs> <laughs> the wooden but, holds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have fun sometimes with it. But for the most part, I think a lot of climbers don't get how I truly enjoy watching it. <laughs> and it's not just like I want to watch it. For the real joy, which is getting on the wall, like I truly enjoy watching it. And um, that's where the divide comes in is with the times I have hopped on the wall. It's so different being far away watching the best climbers in the world and then getting on it myself. And I'm like a V1 climber. <laughs> you know, and being that close, I don't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. So, of, co- of course, Matt would be the best coach. But um, no, it's a fun thing for me. And it, it works that way. Because I can appreciate and support what he loves, but I'm also no form of competition or prioritizing like my 
boulders I might want to go to versus his, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no form of takeaway. It's if anything, it just gets to compliment. So it works out for us. That's awesome. How far did you take dancing before you transitioned away from that? Um, I danced throughout all of college and then did some, yeah, professional uh, internships and projects for about a year or two after. And I still drop into some adult ballet classes pretty often. Well, not anymore, really, because of COVID and um, Mm -hmm. figuring out the mask situation isn't quite my cup of tea yet. But dancing led me to be passionate about fitness as cross training for my ballet, which then grew a love for movement, strength training, and functional training in general. So that has become like a separate kind of love on top of dancing that has kept me conditioned enough to be able to just hop into a dance class randomly, okay. which I think is pretty special. Yes. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Where does the uh, where does the nutrition come into play? When did you become interested in that? That happened in college when I could finally have control of my own food and what I was buying because I didn't <laughs> I didn't have an influence uh, growing up. Nobody in my family was interested in health. So that all ended up being a perspective of if I really want to improve in my dancing, I have to understand the fuel that mm. is behind and supporting it. And, you know, it's a crucial part of the foundation. So that became like my hobby interest. And I worked at a gym and had slow a trickle down influence of certain sports supplements. And I got to know some of that world, but most of it was what I call the kitchen nutrition and had nothing uh, to do with the really intricate herbs or sports supplements until I started working in one of those departments. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And so now, um, you know, I've talked about this with Matt and we can, I'd love to talk to you about OTG strength and your role a little bit more in depth later. But for people that don't know, you and Matt have started OTG strength together and you provide, you guys together provide climbing and nutrition coaching for clients and you focus on the the nutrition with people. Yeah. It's a whole world of nerding out for me (laughs) Uh, because I see so many strong climbers out there and strong athletes in general. And a lot of people kind of have the mindset, oh, well, they're a strong climber, even though they eat pizza or they drink Mm. a lot or these kind of things. I'm like, no, no, they're a strong climber despite those. Like, imagine how much better they could be if their body truly had the tools it needed to go that much farther, Hmm. you know? So it's, it's a really interesting perspective behind that. And really, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. But Hmm. it's a whole world of opportunity, and that's a big perspective I hope to pass on is the opportunity that every calorie, every food is a package of opportunity. Mm. Yeah, you. so I had a chance to to work with you a little bit. You did an August promo, and uh, and, and you and I batted a bunch of emails back and forth, and that package of opportunity thing is is something that stood out to me. I like that language, and Mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to come back to that and, and geek out on that in a little bit more detail. Sure. One of the things I'd love to ask you first is, and I hadn't planned to ask this, it just came to mind, but are the nutritional needs of a dancer and the nutritional needs of climbers, are, are, is there a lot of similarity there? Are there par- parallels or did you kind of have to learn and adapt as you started working with more climbers? Um, it was a transition period, but there are a lot of similarities that even in hindsight, I've realized. Mm. So, for example, it's not... You're not doing pull-ups in ballet. If anything, you're doing 
pushing movements from the ground, whether it's from your feet or from floor work if you're doing more modern or contemporary movements. But the idea of wanting to feel light and not have heavy foods in your stomach and then the power and energy systems are similar as well, depending on the intensity of the movement, but how you incorporate a lot of strength training in spurts. Mm. So you're not necessarily, you know, like a cyclist might be going for an hour plus in one kind of energy system mm-hmm. while climbers hop on and then they have huge rest periods and dance classes or even performances can be very similar where you have large breaks between really in, intense investments of energy. Mm. So there's a lot of crossover, but also inherently different movements. So it's cool to see, but there are a lot of crossovers for sure. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I was kind of picking Matt's brain about, you know, what are some of the key things that he's changed or worked with you on? And, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to have you on because we didn't go into a ton of detail. So I would love to just geek out with you on this. But he yeah. mentioned that, you know, the main thing that he's really changed is food timing. And, you know, mm-hmm. not just what he's putting in his body, but when. And I, I think yes. that's so interesting and there's so much to tackle there. But one of the things that you and I geeked out about quite a bit in our emails was protein synthesis. Yes. I had kind of been gravitating towards like an intermittent fasting thing and eating most of my food in a like an eight-hour window. You know, I wouldn't eat until noon and then I'd try to be done eating by 7 or 8 p.m. most days, especially on rest days. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was I was doing that for – because I'd kind of geeked out on on – intermittent fasting for blood sugar control for some of these longevity things. And you had a a pretty different take and kind of got me to experiment with more frequent, smaller meals. So I'd I'd love to hear, Mm -hmm. I guess, just what's the deal with protein synthesis and why do you feel that protein timing is important? Yeah, I think it's very important. It's probably one of my favorite things to geek out about. So yes, you're right. (laughs) Um, The more I learn about protein, the more I love protein. But the timing part of it specifically is really based on, I think the large majority of people lean towards intermittent because of the control it gives them. And when you have this all or nothing, you know, I can't eat until this time and then I can only eat until this time. It gives a level of freedom in that um, people feel like you can kind of eat a lot more at once, mm-hmm. but then the other times, you know, oh, this just isn't, just isn't allowed. And so the control there can also donate to lesser calories, but that doesn't mean it donates to all the intricacy that comes with how an athlete especially is both using energy and then also recovering. So protein synthesis is basically how our body builds itself. And that's not just the framework of our body, like muscles, that's also the ligaments. It's our organs are made out of tissues and more protein has so many functions. So when you have more opportunity for protein synthesis, then you can basically be working and creating your body more often. So for example, with the national association of sports medicine that I was certified in for sports nutrition, they had some really powerful studies that backed up and asked really good questions about, okay, so if we eat more often in consistent ratios, how does that change than if we eat, say, less protein in the morning, you know, a medium amount at lunch or a higher amount at dinner? Like, does it matter to just get the quantity in? Or is it more effective for gains and strength if we 
we spread it out and are we're more consistent with it. Hmm. And so based on those different factors, they found that eating four to five equal consistent servings of at least 20 grams of protein at each of those servings per day opened up a three hour protein synthesis window every time. So you can imagine if you go six hours without eating, then you're actually missing one more opportunity to activate protein synthesis in your body, which for the very sore fingers or for the very sore athletes, really no matter what kind of athlete you are, then we can really benefit from taking advantage of more protein synthesis windows. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are some of the key, I mean, you just mentioned at least 20 grams per meal. What are some of the key strategies people can use to optimize protein synthesis if they're interested in that as far as like amounts, um, maybe different sources of protein, timing, stuff like that? Yeah. Often that can be imagining your meal or snack around the protein source. And so it doesn't have to be something complicated. It can be something pretty simple, like maybe you're adding an extra scoop of protein powder or peanut flour to your oatmeal in the morning versus just having a meal, which is often uh, like breakfasts are pretty normal that people tend to lean heavy carbohydrate and then often leave out protein um, and especially vegetables completely. So when we can kind of sneak in some different strategies, then you can let the entire meal revolve around the protein itself. And it doesn't have to be straight, same meat. It doesn't have to be the 20 grams. It can be maybe you get 10 grams from a black bean burger and then you add you know, half a can of tuna, like super simple. You're getting a complex variety of proteins and you're just making sure it's an overall package of at least 20 grams. Okay. So it doesn't mean that everyone is exactly 20 grams, depending on the goals. It can be more than that, but 20 grams is uh, an at least limitation. Okay. Do you have a protein amount per day that you shoot for with your clients or for yourself? Yes. Yes, okay. that changes, and that dr changes pretty drastically depending on the weight, depending on the person's goals, so if they're in a calorie deficit or not, as well as the volume and intensity of their training. Okay. So some of our clients maybe climb four times a week or some only three times a week, and so their protein ratio is going to look different than somebody who is doing pretty high volume most of the week and then, like, forcing them to take an, take an active rest day. <laughs> and then additionally, like, my servings, while it might be 90 to 115 grams of protein, most of our clients, our male clients, are at least 120 grams of protein a day. Hmm. So we figure out at the beginning what the current habits are, and then we slowly modify that and say, okay, well, you're a bit under here, you're a bit under here, and look at overall habits, and then we get into very specific macro benchmarks for each and every unique climber. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. In general for people, I guess that there are any general principles that people can apply who are just listening to this. Um, one, one question that I have is, does the protein number change on a training day versus a rest day? Yes. So consistently, we have an at least number. I usually give three tiers. So for me, for example, maybe on a rest day, it would be closer to 90 grams, but on a training day, it'd be closer to that 115 grams because the workout block itself calls for more protein in general, both pre and even during and after working out. So that would create a window of more quantity in general, but then rest days, that consistency is still important because it's not a day off for our bodies, really. 
Mm-hmm. It, you know, even though we're not tearing those muscles, we are rebuilding them. And so that recovery still requires protein synthesis. Okay. Mm-hmm. And those numbers that you gave, those are for you personally? Yes, those are for me personally. So a typical range for climber, if I were to go super average with our clients, is usually between 140 to 170 grams of protein per day. And that's pretty specific to Matt's program, you know, for Apex. But um, if somebody is having high volume, limit bouldering often with cross training combined for their strength training uh, for opposition muscles, then that's about where they hit. And again, it, it does change because I have some clients who are 135 pounds, and then I have some clients who are um, almost 200 pounds. Sure, so yeah. your actual body weight does go into the calculation. And then I have calculations from NASM, the National Association of Sports Medicine, that I apply to their specific goals as well. It's interesting. I've had several people on the show who either, you know, I had Katie Lambert on, she's a master's in nutrition, and oh, Natasha nice. Barnes, she doesn't she doesn't specialize in nutrition, but it's something that she ends up dealing with a lot in her clients. I think I asked Drew Ruana about this too. And a really consistent theme so far is like one gram of protein per pound body weight per day. And it sounds like those numbers that you're throwing out are are at least in that same ballpark. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that ends up being what it tends to be. That's a good average, but usually it's estimated 1.6 grams per kilogram. Okay. Of body weight, if you're maintaining and you're not especially active as an athlete. So then it can go all the way up to actually two and a half to three grams per kilogram, depending on if somebody is training heavily and in deficit, say, or if they're in maintenance calories and training. So th- that number applies differently. But yeah, it does tend to be around a gram per body weight, but I would be hesitant to tell someone someone to just take that much mm. without knowing their training protocol. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, what about supplements? Do you, how do you feel about protein powders? I mean, you already mentioned adding protein powder to your oatmeal, that sort of thing, but how mm-hmm. do you, how do you think about, you know, the amount that your clients are getting from supplements versus from whole foods? Well, I always start with whole foods. I prioritize the food. And even in supplements, I really, really emphasize avoiding any kind of artificial stuff. So if you're looking at a protein powder, the ingredient list should still look like food in powdered (laughs) form. You know, so peanut flour is actually a really good example. Most people don't know or think about because it's just peanuts that they took out most of the fat. So now you're left with the protein Hmm. version of it. And so protein powders get really fun and creative with different formulas, depending on what you're using it for. But um, they're just going to be combining those parts of food. So it should still look like food, even if it's, say, a meal protein where they added healthy fats from flax and chia, or maybe they combined many different kinds of plant proteins or animal proteins to distribute differently to create a complete protein. It'll all still look like food okay. in the ingredient list. Mm-hmm. You should be able to pronounce all the ingredients on the list. For the most part. <laughs> I mean, working in a supplement department, that's actually something I loosened my grip on because a lot of people, for example, can't say ashwagandha. Okay. But it's uh, one of the most common herbs in India in the adaptogen field. So just because we can't say it doesn't necessarily mean 
We shouldn't eat it. It might just be that we need to learn about it. But it's more like if it sounds like a code, then that's a huge red flag, like yellow number five. Okay. <laughs> or, um, you know, a, a certain processed preservative mm. will definitely sound like a lab item in general. Mm-hmm. Or, or a lot of ingredients straight out say this has natural and artificial flavors and then you're like hmm so you're telling me right now this is artificial you know (laughs) those you don't have to decode gotcha cool thank you for that yeah i've got two more questions about protein okay one is you know inevitably when i if i'm sitting around the campfire talking to someone about about this sort of stuff and just geeking out I almost always get pushback pushback from a certain type of person on protein. And it's, you know, the person that doesn't, in general, it seems that women are more reluctant to get on board with eating higher protein. And they have this idea in their mind that, you know, protein and, and higher protein amounts is for bulking up and for bodybuilders and, and just kind of like this bro-y gym culture sort of thing. You already touched on a few of the other benefits of, of protein in the human body aside from just building muscle. But I'd love to hear what is your pitch that you give to clients that are a little bit reluctant to start eating such high protein numbers? Can you speak to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it is deaf from the training I've had, especially with NASM. The research actually debunks that eating too much protein is bad for, say, a lot of people say uh, it's bad on our kidneys, and they indicate that it's actually only bad on kidneys if those kidneys are already weak for some reason. Mm. And that would be applied similarly to digestion. You know, a lot of people who maybe can't digest a lot of fiber, that's not necessarily because they're not supposed to eat fiber. That might be because they haven't had fiber and they've trained their body and their body's not used to eating fiber anymore. Mm. So the question isn't, you know, should I avoid any food that my body is sensitive to right now? It should be, why is my body sensitive to this? And what can I do to optimize and, you know, bring my body to a standard of health that it can digest what it's supposed to. Hmm. So similarly with protein, that's like, that's a kidney question more than it's, uh, should I even be eating or upping my protein? And when it comes to bulking, when somebody is trying to lose weight, fat specifically, and they're in deficit, the first macro to be adjusted is to raise protein to higher levels because it it prevents your muscle from deteriorating while you're in calorie deficit. So it it maintains the muscle you have and allows for you to actually simultaneously build strength at the same time you're in a deficit. Hmm. So lifting protein is actually kind of opposite. It's not straight for bulking. If somebody is bulking, that comes with the package of how much carbohydrates they're incorporating with Hmm. their protein package. So the protein in isolation is not the bulking mechanism. It's more like the director of how carbohydrates are used and multiple other functions, including hormone functions in your body. That's what I think a lot of people don't realize either is that protein as a gram is made up of many little parts. So the building blocks called amino acids each have different jobs in the body. So most people don't know, for example, that lysine is good for your immune system. And then specific aminos isolated can energize you like carnitine and L-tyrosine. And then you have specific aminos that are 
largely talked about in sport, the sports world, right, because of circulation or how they support tissue repair or how they affect and support growth hormones in your body. And uh, then the other neglected ones even being how very detailed certain amino acids are like glutathione or cysteine for supporting our central nervous system in natural detoxification. Hmm. So when we look at the overall package of protein, it does so much more than that stereotype of, oh, you're only going to up your protein if you want to bulk or be a bodybuilder. Hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. That Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so interesting. Thanks for that. Yeah. I talked to Matt about his pre-workout meal. He gave the example of his oatmeal with like half a banana and protein powder. Yeah. Why is protein important pre-workout? Um, well, for a lot of those package reasons. So when you eat protein, you're never eating just one amino acid unless you're taking it in a capsule. So if you say uh, eat chicken, then you're getting a ratio of leucine. You're getting a ratio of uh, the proline or valine and these different amino acids. So it's a package of doing a little bit of everything both in getting ready to support your muscles under tension and encouraging energy. Or even um, one good example of that is green tea. Hmm. It has caffeine, right? And it naturally has L-theanine, which is an amino acid for calming. And so some people take that for calming, but if you take it with a stimulant, now you've got a good balance that instead of getting the spike and crash, you have sustained energy. So those are some techniques and the why behind protein packages that a lot of climbers can benefit from. Because if all you take before a climbing session is caffeine for your pre-workout or caffeine and carbohydrates, well, now you have some fast energy, but it's not going to last you very long. And we all know most climbing sessions go, you know, three to even six hours, depending on if you're outdoor versus indoor bouldering, right? Mm -hmm. So the protein creates a very sustained very intentional package. It's almost like nature was meant to meet nature's needs. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, what about during, I mean, you just, you just mentioned how long a climbing session can be. Do you have any go-to snacks or, or anything that you recommend for climbers, clients of yours for mid session, you know, for peri session, if they're having like a long training day or sport climbing day or something like that? Yeah. So in the middle, I encourage small bites of healthy fats versus high amounts of healthy fats and prioritizing the whole food carbohydrate source. So maybe that if somebody wants that to be really light, that can be dried fruit. Um, But whole fruit is ideal because you're going to have hydration and electrolytes and minerals carried in that package of Mm. carbohydrates there. And then combining that with a smaller bite or you know, a very small handful of nuts or something will mean that that can become a sustainable energy source because fat buffers how fast carbohydrates absorb. Mm. So in between, some people really like going towards the processed bars. And with that, I just encourage our clients to be really intentional with what is in those packages because they're dense and that doesn't always encourage digestion in the long run and how we feel. And a lot of people are surprised that while they might take small bites of a bar, they could easily take small bites of bringing an actual meal to the crag Mm -hmm. and find that that is just as good, if not better energy, because you're usually getting, you know, chlorophyll 
from colorful green vegetables, for example, which energizes and oxygenates your cells. And then you're getting vitamins from the color in fruits differently or phytonutrients. And it goes a lot farther than how easy it is to rely on a dense package. Hmm. So we talk about which brands can be a little bit more natural. And so I understand for convenience, for example, Crafted is one of our recent favorites. It tastes like trail mix in a dense package. And so taking small bites of that is different than taking small bites of, say, a Quest bar, which mm. is, is good for you in a different way. But it's straight protein, a lot of fiber, and a lot of fat instead of the complex of carbohydrates and uh, fat that a crafted bar would have, which encourages climbing. So not all bars are created equal. And that's where we start with whole food options, even at the crag, because we can understand what that package is offering better than something that is just saying, you know, high protein or high fat loss, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. It's, it's interesting to me. So I've seen this recent trend. <laughs> Maybe I started, I was talking to Drew, Drew Ruana and he was sharing that, you know, his friend Griffin Whiteside recommended that he eat Mike and Ike's between tries on his Boulder project. And yeah. I see that so often. I see candy at the cliff or, you know, a recent yeah. one that's super in vogue right now for some reason is Sour Patch Kids. Everyone seems to have Sour Patch Kids at the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you have, uh, what are your thoughts on that as far as just like a quick dose of glucose before, you know, before trying your project and maybe, yeah, what is your take on that? And then what would your advice be for people that are on board with that right now? Yeah. Um, so that, that's actually been one of the, one of the things I've noticed and, um, joked about because it is fast energy, but there are a lot of things in nature that are also fast energy, like sweet potatoes. When you bake them, now that becomes fast energy. That's also carrying vitamin A and it's, you know, also carrying these other minerals and even some fiber and things in it that will just do more. So it's basically more bang for your buck if hmm. your dollar is a calorie. Okay. So it's not that you should, can't ever have those things. We just have to – and it, it's really beneficial to understand how it's an exchange of getting energy from a more opti optimal option, hmm. really. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't demonize somebody from taking candy to the crag. We all like having those treats sometimes. But I'd say for someone who relies on it, say every session, that it would be worth trying those other options because they might be surprised how much vitamin Bs or vitamin A or these different minerals that are carried in equal carbohydrate packages will fuel their current energy and then recovery even further. Okay. And say your whole goal for the day is to get um, 350 grams of carbohydrates. If 50 grams of that is taken up by Swedish fish or Sour Patch Kids, well, now that's 50 grams of carbohydrates that can't come from brown rice or lentils or fruit or, you know, these dense packages. Mm. So it's more just understanding and prioritizing what's worth it because I, it's healthy to prioritize the experience sometimes too. Sometimes it just feels good <laughs> and it's nostalgically worth it or fellowshiply, you know, if that's oh, worth, cool. worth it, you know, to have those things. Yeah, yeah. Fellowshiply, we're gonna we're gonna call it. <laughs> I like it. 
But yeah, so those are real benefits, but we have to, it's a valuable question to ask if it's worth it over the benefit of other nutrients that will fuel our goals differently, you know? Okay. Do you have Mm -hmm. other examples aside from sweet potatoes that would be equivalent as far as like a fast carbohydrate source? Yeah. So a lot of people take brown rice up or white rice, even in a complex of like a veggie meal that you could take just a couple of bites of that veggie mix in general, because most vegetables are also combinations of carbohydrates. And then oat milk is another one. Hmm. If it's and that one surprises people for sure, but we have a lot of different, most people call them nut milks, but oats are carbohydrate based. And so when you're taking away the fibers from the oats themselves and left with the milk, then you'll have carbohydrates there. Um, fruits are ideal packages for that. Yeah. That's okay. paired with hydration too. Yeah. Those are simple ones, but I think a lot of people try to overcomplicate it and it doesn't have to be. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Are are there any other things that you're thinking about as far as nutrition timing? Any other things that you've worked on with Matt that have, that have made a difference or that you focus on with clients aside from just protein timing? Oh, absolutely. Yes. So I can relate to a lot of people if they're trying to hit certain macro numbers, then there's this idea of like, well, why can't I have all my fat right now in the form of cheesecake or peanut butter? (laughs) Right. Uh Sure. (laughs) But in actuality, it's very intricate in how we can combine fat, fiber, and proteins and uh, really use absorption in its intention. So for example, most of us know about the glycemic index, right? And how Mm -hmm. different carbohydrates, be it fruits or starches or candies, sodas, et cetera, all have this ranking on a glycemic index. And it's been really cool as I've trained more and more to realize that we can control that glycemic index by how we combine foods and the timing of them throughout the day. So Mm -hmm. if you have sweet potato, that might be a faster absorbing, higher glycemic index item. But then if you combine it with broccoli, well, now you're bringing fiber into the mix. And then if you throw in some salmon, now you're bringing some protein to buffer that. And you're changing how fast those carbohydrates absorb because the whole package now becomes the meal Mm. instead of just the one food itself. So then there's also aspects of, say, water-soluble versus fat-soluble vitamins. And some fat-soluble vitamins, for example, A, D, E, and K, can only absorb fully when they're combined with some fats. So if you have carrots, then you're going to absorb some of it. But if you combine those carrots with hummus or a meal that has avocado, etc., then now you're absorbing the vitamin A and fat-soluble vitamins specifically much better than you would on its own. And then equally... Resistance training, this is really cool. Resistance training allows calcium and vitamin D to absorb better. Hmm. So you're not only strengthening your muscles by absorbing minerals, but you're strengthening your bones as well. And that timing comes into play with nutrients too. So in general, when I talk about timing, it's telling people you might be tempted, but don't throw all of your, say, three to five fruit servings into your, your smoothie in the morning. Spread it out. Because your body will use that for other nutrients in other food groups, but it'll also affect your hormones. So you talked about blood sugar, Mm -hmm. for example, and -hmm. our blood sugar reacts very uniquely to the kinds of meals we eat and the food groups in those meals. So we can control our blood sugar and have a sustainable 
consistent kind of hormone production and hunger also reaction when we eat food groups in balance spread out throughout the day instead of piling it all in, you know, heavy amounts or imbalanced amounts in the day. Okay. Interesting. I mean, in very broad strokes, it kind of sounds like have meals more often and then kind of have this like nice balanced approach to every single time you eat. So have some carbohydrates, but have some fiber, have some protein and have some fats to, to kind of buffer your glycemic index and absorption and things like that. Does that sound, is, is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And does that change at all when you're eating around performance or training windows? Like, do you ever skew the the ratios to to intentionally have a more higher glycemic re- response? You know, in the case of like, you know, eating right before you tie in to try your project, that sort of thing. Yeah. So the workout block specifically is what comes to mind when you talk about that because we are looking for faster absorbing nutrients. So it doesn't mean we leave out food groups completely, but um, looking at lighter vegetables, say bell peppers or cucumbers or things that are hydrating, still have vitamins and minerals, but aren't going to take as long to digest, say, if somebody had a lot of broccoli, you know, to buffer their energy source. So that would be a good example of that, as well as food is energy and it's specific kinds of energy. So if you're going to have higher amounts of carbs, that workout block would be the best time to have it versus say right before bed when our body is supposed and our hormones are getting ready to rest, then we don't need those higher ratios of carbohydrates the same way. So yeah, the timing is going to be loaded in how the energy of the food meets the energy of the activity in the day. Hmm. So, and that does change for our climbers, especially because some love to wake up and get morning sessions in. And some love to pack it into the evening. And so we talk about different kinds of recipes and different kinds of foods that they can prioritize at those times of the day. Because for that evening example, doesn't apply the same way to someone who actually really needs those carbohydrates mm. for their 9 a.m. session. You know, so then we talk about, okay, well, what strategies can we do for pre-workout, post-workout, and then still recover post-workout, but also not get in the way of sleep mm. in that way. Okay. Interesting. So interesting. Um, I want to ask a couple quicker questions and then I'd love to get into some of the things that you've seen from working with clients. Okay. You've mentioned a couple supplements or or even just, you know, minerals and and vitamins and things that you're trying to get from food. Are there Mm -hmm. any things that climbers should be supplementing with in general? Yes. There are always going to be beneficial supplements. I have staples that I simplify Um, And so some of those, really the starter would be, of course, food. And so, you know, if someone loves a multivitamin, that can't replace food. Um, (laughs) Supplements are meant to fill gaps. They're meant Hmm. to supplement. So then on top of that, some my favorite staples are fish oil and protein powder because of how they meet the need within a climber under high stress resistance. And that's not just muscular. That's often mental too, right? Hmm. It can be very draining mentally. And so from those basic supplements like the fish oil and talking about different protein powders that they can use to meet protein synthesis, that's really a foundation. And then we branch from there and get more specific talking about their pre and post-workout supplements because not everybody 
it was not a one size fits all. So not everybody is going to react to caffeine the same way, say if their adrenal glands aren't as healthy as they could be. But then there are adaptogens that are meant to be both energizing or meet stress and inflammation responses in our bodies. And that gets really exciting. That's where the herbal nut and me from working in the supplement department really comes into play because mm. most personal trainers won't talk about herbs as much. And so I talk about it from a perspective of what supports uh, where you're at. And climbers almost always can benefit from things that balance inflammation in your body and balance stress uh, responses, be it, you know, straight up workout stress or the mental stress that comes as a, a reaction to our attachment and the beautiful attachment and relationship we have you know, with our projects. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So the, the herbs and those sort of things, are, are you trying to get those through recipes and whole foods or are there, are there any herbs that you supplement with or recommend for clients? Yeah. So a lot of my favorite herbs are, like I said, those adaptogens and peppermint would actually be considered an herb and we can easily put that into food. I just made actually chocolate peppermint black bean brownies yesterday. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Amazing. And then common herbs that, you know, herbs can kind of be a scary term if someone doesn't know or doesn't have a lot of interaction and experience with them. But turmeric is an herb, you know, ginger, all of these plants that we use in Italian seasoning, those are herbs too. Uh, so there are definitely ways you can season your food for extra circulation, say garlic hmm. and black pepper would aid circulation. And so when someone is looking for, you know, what kinds of foods would help me more on recovery days, then we talk about the food sources that start with circulation. And then the herbs, like for example, ashwagandha, I mentioned before, is one of my favorite adaptogens that takes care of your natural energy thermostat, which hmm. is my nickname for your adrenal glands. And that is a food, right? It's just a leaf that you then can put in tea. And so it's one of the most common teas. And so we talk about teas a lot because if you go to the tea section there, if you get sleepy time tea, that's going to be a combination of herbs, which is just food in a tea bag that you seep into your water and can drink. So it doesn't have to look like, you know, popping capsules all day. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Okay. In interesting. Um, I have one question about a specific supplement. What about vitamin D? Y you mentioned, your resistance training can improve your absorption of vitamin D. Mm -hmm. And I've heard a lot of people in this space give a blanket recommendation for vitamin D because we get exposed to so much less sunlight than our ancestors did, et cetera. So what are your thoughts sure. on that? Um, vitamin D is, yes, as a whole, most people are deficient and a lot of studies will back that up. But the number the specific number or IU, as a lot of supplements will describe it, will change depending on what should really be a doctor recommendation. So okay. nobody should just go out and pump vitamin D because there are a, a few vitamins that can become toxic in excess. And vitamin D is one of them that hmm. if you're taking, and it's usually over 5,000 IU, it, you'd be hard pressed to find supplements that are much higher than that on the shelf. And even those you sh most humans should be cautious with. But, you know, taking one to 2,000 is my typical suggestion or guidance for people and not daily, but just a couple times a week. And that's most things, actually. So, you know, you don't have to take or eat fish every single day to get the benefits of it. Hmm. 
Hmm. You don't have to eat sweet potatoes every single day to get the benefit of it. You can just incorporate them into your diet, say weekly, and you'll still benefit from it. A lot of people have this mindset that, you know, the day resets and then you have to have everything good for you every single day. (laughs) Um, But that's not the case. Our bodies and science doesn't work that way. You know, so it carries on and will continue to be used by our by our bodies. And so vitamin D can come naturally in foods, usually foods that are animal based because the animals themselves absorb the vitamin D somehow. But there are some plant sources, too, that I could expand more. I'd have to look some of them up. But the first that comes to my mind are eggs. Okay. And this surprises a lot of people. But um, eggs that are from a healthy raised chicken that was able to go out into sunlight, was able to eat uh, seeds and pick it in the soil and eat bugs and eat a wide variety of nutrients versus, um, you know, which is common in our meat industry versus an animal that was, you know, sardined out of sunlight side by side to a lot of other chickens and not living freely. We'll have different nutrients just like we do when we eat those nutrients, tell our body what to do and how to make itself the chicken is the same way, and therefore so are the eggs. And uh, pasture-raised, not just cage-free, but pasture-raised, farm-happy egg source is going to have a lot more vitamin D. I believe NASM's research and visuals show at least three times more vitamin D hmm. in a, an egg that is pasture-raised versus oh, wow. not. So more bang for our buck. It's not just about the macronutrients and calories. It's about the micronutrients in that same package, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'd love to dig into some of the stuff that you've seen working with, with clients. You know, it is so interesting in the climbing world, I think because climbers are doing so many things, right. You know, we're getting outside a lot. We generally have Mm -hmm. a really rich community around us. We're getting exercise. It seems like climbers can kind of get away with a crappier diet than the average American and still (laughs) look really fit and feel good and all those sorts of things. Yeah. And it's interesting. A lot of people just don't really want to put that much effort or thought into their nutrition. They just want to enjoy food, not think about it too hard. And, and, you know, for some people that can kind of make them kind of crazy if they're scrutinizing every meal and that sort of thing. Yeah. I'd love to hear what are some of the kind of biggest bang for your buck things that you've worked on with clients? Like what are the things that you're working on that are making the biggest impact for people that you focus on first? Yeah. Um, and I love that you said not everybody wants to invest a lot of um, basically a lot of energy on tediously or meticulously breaking down every single meal. And I have a lot of compassion for that. And so that's that's part of my guidance is I'll give a slow distribution of those kind of detailed tweaks that people can make as they go. But the real goal is to make it feel second nature, is to make it feel Like, oh, of course I'd eat uh, an apple at this time versus eating a handful of almonds at this time. Or of course I'd eat this Hmm. because it it feels natural. And that's where when you you build habits, you can take away the amount of energy you invest on those choices and then get to be more creative and have more fun with the other choices you're making. And so that's – yeah, that's a huge part of my program is I really want nutrition to feel like a foundational support that at the very least – can support performance in a simple way and easy to follow and apply way. Nobody has to be a chef or, or a perfectionist to be successful and 
benefit from good nutrition and at the same time realize that there's so many ways we can be creative and when we feel that energy that oh i really want to know how my power can be this much better or i really want to know how my sleep can be this much better that's when we get to dive into the curiosity and the creativity of Mm -hmm. those intricacies but it doesn't have to be and in fact most of us i don't think anybody can 24 7 invest that kind of energy into anything, even if they're excited about learning it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely a process. But the biggest impact and the biggest changes that I've noticed in our clients' patterns is starting with transparency. You know, nobody should feel guilty or judged based on what they're already eating. Mm-hmm. But transparency to get a clear picture of their current habits and then simplifying and breaking down some easy ways that um, – We can break down food groups or add in an extra serving of vegetables here, for example. And that's a big umbrella pattern is usually more protein spread out and more fruits and vegetables. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty simple. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask you a a follow-on question with that, but I think think you just hit it. Um, (laughs) I guess if you had to give like... For people listening, if you had to give two or three tips that people could take away, you know, things that every climber should be doing that they're probably not doing, nutritionally speaking, can you come up with with a couple things that are kind of the biggest ticket items? Would it just be protein and and fruits and vegetables, like you said? Is there anything else that comes to mind? Well, that's that's the basic for humans that climbers don't get to escape. Okay, (laughs) but but for climbers specifically, um, it's probably prioritizing the complex carbohydrates before the energy gels and the candy or alongside, like why not bring some sweet potato along with, you know, a handful of Swedish fish that you have during the session, but really prioritizing the variety of complex carbohydrates before the more convenient ones that you can grab like, or fat as well. Actually, a lot of climbers are heavy in fat, and fat goes a long way, a little goes a long way. Mm. So really prioritizing complex carbohydrates and then taking real food to the crag. Okay. Yep. Something I'd like to ask is, you know, with as many clients as you've worked with now, I'm sure you've, you've kind of already spoken about our individuality, like we all are different. But mm-hmm. I always wonder, like, to what extent are our nutritional needs actually individual? Like, are we all special snowflakes? Or is that just something we tell ourselves as a convenient excuse so that we can eat what we want to? Uh, How do you think about that? Yeah. Um, So that's another kind of yes or no answer. But I love that question because it's true. We see see some threads of mindset in our culture that a, a lot of people kind of throw their hands up in the air when it comes to nutrition almost as an excuse not to even try hmm. because there's this disclaimer that like, oh, well, some people will thrive off of this versus some people will thrive only off of this versus, and people are like, well, this is all too complicated. <laughs> when in reality, we would be extinct if we were all as individual as that. Mm. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. like we just couldn't survive. So part of our health has to be innate. And so on the most simple level, if it's a whole food, if it's a plant, if it's something that you're going to naturally find in nature, then it can't just as a blanket statement to be bad for everyone. So of course there are some exceptions to that. Like obviously don't go out and eat poison ivy. <laughs> right. But mm. the umbrella threads show that eating a variety of fruits and vegetables and quality proteins will benefit 
for the most part, everyone. And then from there, when you build those basic habits, then getting more specific into, okay, why do I seem to be more sensitive to this? Or why do I seem to be more sensitive to this? And we touched on that a little bit earlier, but digestion is a key part of that, that kind of, because people don't understand it, they kind of dismiss it when that's the door to how nutrients enter our bodies. So it's very common for our digestion to not be used to foods or to need some extra help sometimes, um, be it in enzymes or probiotics or just simple concentrated aloe juice um, can support digestion. The digestive part affects how we absorb everything. And so if we have a long list of, say, I'm sensitive to this, 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 and this, do to my individuality, the bigger question should be why is hmm. this affecting me? And then, you know, of course, there are people who are straight up allergic to peanuts. So while a peanut might be healthy for me, of course, they're not going to be healthy to that person. <laughs> but as a whole, we have the big umbrella ideas that are really important to learn from because that is science. And then we have the compassion for individuality, which isn't an excuse. It's a, it's a vehicle for getting creative and having compassion for ourselves, hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. Man, so many questions coming to mind. <laughs> I'd love to ask you a self-serving question. I'm always curious about okay. carbohydrates. Okay. So I went down a really deep rabbit hole for, for quite some time with low-carb diets. Um, I had done some blood work, okay. and, and I, I won't go into all the details here. I'd love, I do plan to talk more about my history with this stuff at some point on the show, but... I don't think okay. now's the time, but I um, I did some blood work and I kind of had come to the, the conclusion that a lower carb diet, basically that my carbohydrate tolerance wasn't very high. Mm. And I was experimenting with the, the keto diet for quite a while and then just kind of like a lower carb, higher protein diet for a while. And it yeah. was really interesting talking to you, you know, what I was considering pretty i've kind of been creeping my carbohydrates back up and trying to eat mostly fruits and whole sources and things and what i mm -hmm. thought you know now my paradigm's all skewed and, and what i thought was kind of higher carbohydrate i think you told me like wow you're eating less carbs per day than even clients of mine that are in a deficit yeah and i'm curious about that is there some individuality to carb tolerance or do you have you know pretty standard carbohydrate recommendations for most climbers what have you seen with that, with your clients? Yeah, um, well, as you can imagine, and then does you experience, that's pretty diverse. But carbohydrates are not evil, and that's a fight in our, our society. Um, so many people don't understand what carbohydrates are or what they do, and they do so much for our bodies. They're, it's the number one energy source in our bodies. And so to pretend like we should eliminate an entire energy source, and in fact, the first energy source completely can actually get dangerous. And, you know, hormones begin to sound like woohoo science to people too, but it's the chemical reactions that direct our body to do what it needs to do. And so hormones affect how we engage protein synthesis. It, it affects how we sleep. It affects how we feel and how we feel affects how we treat people and how we act in life too. And so it really is all a domino effect. And with my clients, I've had some who have even started keto and so we have a good, honest discussion about that. I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna force somebody to just suddenly jump in and eat 300 grams of carbohydrates, for example, when they've been used to eating like a ketosis level, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but we have a, an honest conversation about the energy systems and at least prioritizing where they belong first. 
So like the workout block or spreading it out in throughout the day so that our hormones have that consistent response and we're not spiking insulin like crazy, which is what people get concerned about because we really should only see a specific food group or calories as something that's going to be stored if it's not going to be used. And that can be any macro, but that, for example, with carbohydrates is if it's not used in this moment, then that's when the liver takes control of it. For example, um, with fructose, and when your liver gets involved, say you ate a huge cheesecake right now and you have all this sugar that you're not going to use because you, maybe you have a desk job or you're about to go to bed. It's the evening or something. Well, then a simple walk can help you start to use some of those. But if you don't use them on some level, then that's where the liver takes control. And it's not like your liver is going to fail in one one instance of that. But we're giving our liver a big job to do. And our liver actually has about 50 jobs to do, including encouraging protein synthesis and balancing hormones in our body, such as testosterone and estrogen. So if we give our liver all these jobs to do, well, then that affects our resistance to carbohydrates because your body has to prioritize Hmm. what to take care of first. And that's what studies are recently showing that it donates to the higher ranges of diabetes and higher ranges of lack of sensitivity in people because our liver has so many jobs to do. So as an athlete, we're giving our liver a high job to do in protein synthesis in a special way. So if we distract it with really high pumps of sugar or really high pumps of alcohol consistently, well, how are we going to support our liver and how is our liver going to prioritize? And then that affects the sensitivity. So obviously that all sounds pretty complicated. And if somebody has fun, like I do, nerding out about it, then (laughs) we get really intricate. But as a whole, that's where those basic patterns of eating consistent portions throughout the day becomes really powerful because our body can be trained and it begins to understand that, okay, I'm going to get this fuel consistently. So maybe I don't have to store this or I don't have to react this way because I can I can thrive instead of survive. Mm. And that really comes into play with carbohydrates. If we just react in an extreme pendulum of a pendulum of carbohydrates are dangerous, so I got to cut them out or, you know, carbohydrates are good for you. So now I can just free for all (laughs) have it all day without understanding (laughs) portions and energy systems. Hmm. Yeah, it's a fun topic. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. That That's really helpful stuff for me to think about. Cool. I'd love to ask along those lines, and you know, you've kind of touched on some of this already, but are there any foods or ingredients that you think should generally be avoided by everybody? Yes. Um, three specific come to mind. Okay. The first being, if it says it's artificial, then it's telling you it doesn't belong in your body. Hmm. That's, I mean, fake food doesn't belong in our body. If if somebody wants to have cake, go eat a homemade cake. Like by all means, enjoy, you know, homemade real foods. Those are, those are real, but artificial things don't belong in our bodies and neither do food colors. If it's, you know, yellow number, like I mentioned before, red number, this blue, et cetera, it might seem small now, but all those small things add up. Um, and our bodies 
know what to do with it. We have a liver, we have kidneys, we have systems to naturally get some of those things out of our bodies. But the more we throw at it, the more it has to prioritize, like we were talking about before. And so um, things that we might test in the short term and say, oh, they don't do anything. Well, over time, um, studies are showing opposite. So it's just a great rule of thumb that if it's not a real food, not to eat it. And then um, trans fat are similar along those lines. Those lines as far as it's hydrogenated oils. So if you see something that says hydrogenated on a label, that's code for trans fat. And our bodies do not digest that the same as other fats because a compound has been changed in how they bind that our bodies don't break down and use the same way. Hmm. And so it becomes yet one more thing that our bodies have to process out. So peanut butter is a good example of that, but that doesn't mean that everyone has to sacrifice their smooth peanut butter. That's where there are some natural forms of that that are in the key is being room temperature, solid at room temperature. So like palm oil and you can get sustainably sourced palm oil and things. Sometimes coconut oil is that way too, where if you're in a consistent room temperature, it'll be solid and that could be a baking technique too. But as a whole, yeah, trans fat is the second um, main thing that I would avoid completely. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned there were three, I think. What's the third? Yeah, the third was the food coloring. I kind oh, of lumped it into oh, okay. artificial foods. Okay. 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 Yeah. Cool. Okay. Thanks for that. Yeah. What about alcohol? I'm actually hesitant to ask this because I know the answer is going to break my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't drink much, but I, I do love having a beer after climbing. What are your thoughts on alcohol? That's, yeah, that's kind of a big question, but it comes packaged with compassion. Because um, we live in a culture <laughs> where it very much can be an art, you know, how it's fermented, how formulas are created. And um, even that benefit I was talking about earlier of prioritizing the fellowship and if it's a real benefit there. And the experience is a real benefit. Like our hormones and chemical reactions do respond to that too. Hmm. But, and it's a big but, athletes should be very careful with alcohol because it's not a natural macronutrient in the sense of how we can use it. NASM actually specifies it as a toxin. It doesn't label it as like a special carbohydrate or a special kind of food in moderation. It it labels it as a toxin where the harms outweigh any benefit that could come from it because of how it compromises every other function in our body. So specifically, it compromises the immune system it creates an imbalance in testosterone and or hormone balances, and it really affects the repair in our body through a few ways. First of all, through the liver impact we were talking about earlier, because the liver is in charge of so many things, because alcohol is a toxin, it has to focus on that first, which means if you eat a bunch of other things at the same time, it has to push that aside and focus on the toxin itself. And when we sleep, You might fall asleep faster, but the sleep quality itself is disturbed Hmm. in less REM cycle that donates to the regenerative cycle of our bodies and specifically the liver. So in the domino effect of things, if somebody is having a drink once or twice a week, it's not the end of the world. It is part of a healthy balance and culture, but a pattern can be more than that. And when you get more than that, it the bigger question is how it holds us back. Because it's not just a matter of preventing 
your future gains, if you work out now and how you will repair, it also impacts the current muscle content on your body, which becomes especially concerning as we get older and we start to lose muscle naturally anyway. The now consistent alcohol drinkers will be working against or with that in a really negative way and fighting that in their workouts, repair, and gains. So that question of, is this worth it? And how do I prioritize what's really going to serve my goals right now becomes especially important with Hmm. alcohol. It Hmm. blew my mind when I read more of that because we really celebrate it in a lot of ways in our culture. Sure. And it's scary if if we don't understand how it's affecting us. So not something to feel guilty about, something to feel intentional about instead. You know, I like that. As far as alcohol goes, are there any kind of like lesser evil sources? Does it matter? Well, there are beverages that are more or less concentrated in alcohol. And so those can be prioritized. But as for specific brands, I'm not sure because I don't drink. So I don't have a lot of experience with that. Okay. But I I guess like beer versus wine versus hard alcohol, mixed drinks, any any thoughts on, on that? Um, well, the common with wine is highlighted as like wine, a little bit of wine is healthy for you because of the antioxidants claimed to be in it because it's fermented from grapes, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as NASM has supported in my training has been debunked and that you can easily get that from the actual grape or the you know, blueberries <laughs> or the actual fruit itself. So it. There's no need. <laughs> I know. There's, there's just no need to <laughs> to partner it uh-huh. with the alcohol when it comes to the benefits anyway. So slivers of benefits like that become outweighed by the harms of it. But the concentration really does matter. Um, and so we talk about that with clients and timing is that maybe having more alcohol or alcohol in general right after a climbing session wouldn't be ideal because your body is going to be looking to repair so fast and you don't want to hold back your body from getting the nutrients immediately from your post-workout meal. Hmm. But maybe on a rest day, having a serving throughout that day can be better used and won't hold you back as much as, you know, that immediate workout block. Okay. Um, so there are strategies for sure of, incorporating it into the day but yeah that becomes something i get excited about because how it's applied and the timing becomes important yeah okay okay interesting so you and i are talking in mid-october now i think by the time this comes out it's going to be probably first or second week of november okay The, the holidays are coming up do you have any tips for navigating like family time or social get togethers for someone who is interested in prioritizing their nutrition or who, you know, someone who eats in a way that's a bit different from the standard American diet, just as far as just navigating those sorts of circumstances where you're like, oh, there's all this amazing food. None of it's really in line with my way of eating right now, but I also don't want to be too neurotic about it. How do you think about balancing that stuff and and what kind of tips do you have for people? Yeah. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite things because I have a huge sweet tooth. Okay. And um, (laughs) so baking is an exciting creative space for me um, by proteinizing is what I call it. Proteinizing. Um, Proteinizing. Yeah. Or healthifying. So you can run with either of those. (laughs) But (laughs) I'll take like a traditional recipe and um, 
instead of the full amount of flour or sugar, for example, I'll incorporate some stevia and protein powder options, which there can be some really creative and flavorful, even natural protein options. Like the malt chocolate protein mm. that Fizzy Vantage makes is one of my favorites right now. It oh makes gosh. things so rich. Or um, actually like yesterday, I was talking about the um, the black bean mint mm. chocolate brownie recipe I made. Mm-hmm. I added a scoop of mocha protein powder and it made that chocolate flavor really deep, like Oof. really tasty, rich, dark chocolate flavor. So there's some fun tweaks like that that you kind of have to like grow with me or learn from me. Um, <laughs> I obviously can't list all right here. But um, for basic habits, when I approach a holiday meal, I have to start with what I touched on earlier, where I realize that the experience is still a real benefit, but make sure it is a benefit. Because if the experience turns into a binge that now you're just going to feel guilty about and mm. be really hard on yourself about, well, now you're You've eliminated the nutritional benefit because it's not straight up good for you, right? And you've eliminated the hormonal, like, experiential benefit. So now what did it do for you? And that's sad because those kind of foods are real parts and beautiful parts of life and fellowship that shouldn't just be, you know, eliminated completely. So when I look at a meal, especially holiday meal, I look at what's worth it. And Thanksgiving is a good example of that because I absolutely love pie (laughs) (laughs) but the rest of the meal is kind of eh to me Mm. and so like i i don't like cranberry sauce i don't like stuffing i hate gravy i always have and (laughs) potatoes are only good to me if i soak them in other things like a lot of butter and salt so in that kind of meal i prioritize what i love which is the dark meat of the turkey and sweet potatoes and i'll make that's one of my favorite recipes to bring to the table and one of the first tweaks somebody can make is bring a side dish or even part of the main dish that you are comfortable and excited to eat. Mm. Um, so it's not like you're not eating the meal. And, you you know, sometimes people socially feel uncomfortable about that. But if you can bring one or two things that you're really comfortable eating that still go with the meal, then you can have a few bites of your other favorite things and um, not feel left out or like you're calling people out for not being on the same Uh, page as you. But in the regards of my favorite meal, I have noticed that sweet potatoes are often sweetened with a lot of butter and sugar Mm -hmm. and cinnamon in the meals. And instead, I just add a lot of cinnamon to my baked or steamed sweet potatoes, and nobody can ever tell the difference. Interesting. So it's sweet. It's healthy. Cinnamon is actually good for your blood sugar, too. It supports your blood sugar well. And now I've got a staple that goes along with Thanksgiving dinner well. And I can enjoy my pie later because I didn't eat things I felt like I had to earlier, right? I prioritized what I really wanted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thanks for Thank you for sharing all that. I was, uh, yeah. I was actually looking at your Facebook page right before we got on the call here. And uh, one yeah? of the recent posts, you just had a big picture of a, a, a little phrase. It just said, guilt isn't a topping. Yes. <laughs> I really yes. like that. That that really fits into uh, <laughs> everything that you're just talking about. Thanks. And yeah, that I mean, that's personal to me because I come from that similar background of all or nothing, demonizing carbohydrates or demonizing some of what we call our favorite foods. And scientifically, our bodies just don't work that way. You know, all mm. ultimately food is energy. And, you know, we're not resetting the day to have this all or nothing mindset. And one of my favorite quotes, I can't remember 
when I came up with it, but it's kind of an aha moment to me, was if I don't eat it all today, I can still have some of it tomorrow. <laughs> right? So, mm. <laughs> so whether it's pie or peanut butter or that bag uh. of chips, it's okay to have a handful or two and meet your craving where it's at right now. Yeah. But you don't have to eat it all because now you've given yourself this punishment rule that tomorrow you can't have any of it. Totally. God, I fall into that trap all the time, Haley. I'm just like, well, I should make all this go away so that I'm not tempted by it tomorrow. So I just eat it until I'm sick. It's terrible. And then it, yeah, and then it just, it feel, we feel so crappy. <laughs> and that's the punishment. Like, that's the real punishment. But we don't have to punish ourselves that way. Hmm. And then we can also ask ourselves, like, a very valid question. Like, okay, well, if I can have this tomorrow, then do I really want it now? And maybe you do, maybe you don't. But you have given yourself permission to actually listen to yourself and have some now or have some then. And scientifically, our bodies think us too. You know, how our bodies respond to eating a whole bag of chocolate chips versus <laughs> having a handful. It's, it's a different package of energy. Our body and our hormones, our stress levels from whatever we do to ourselves thereafter will thank us so much more for having that outlook on life, you know. Hmm. And that's longevity. I want to bounce back to Matt's nutrition, if you're willing to, okay. to geek out on that with me a little bit. Yeah. So Matt has been really forthcoming about, about his kind of process of having bulking phases versus maintenance phases versus cutting phases. And he'll kind of cycle through those in the year. And mm -hmm. I talked to him about this a little bit. I know he's talked about it a little bit on other podcasts, but I'd love to just get a little bit more of a broad strokes picture of, of what that looks like in some context. I forgot to ask Matt about this. I already knew his kind of dimensions, so to speak, so I didn't ask him about it, but someone brought that up um, on Instagram the other day, and I thought I would share it. So Matt's cool. roughly 5'11", and it sounds like he kind of fluctuates between 160 pounds and maybe like 168 pounds, something like that, you know, mm -hmm. from performance phase to, to kind of off season. Mm -hmm. what, what do those cycles look like? How many times might Matt cycle through, you know, bulking maintenance and, and cutting in a given year? Mm, well, how many times he cycles through that is going to be more of a question for him because that goes into the training part of it that I'm not as sure about when he, comes to me, you know, talking more about, about his bulking phase or about his cutting phase, then we get specific and more intentional, but I'm not sure how many times he like cycles through each of those okay. alone. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So if you had a client come to you who, who was interested in doing that again, you know, I'm asking a self-serving question here. So I, <laughs> I'm fairly similar size to Matt. I have her around 160 to 165 pounds. I'm 5'10". Right. Right now I'm in a really comfortable phase. I would call it like a maintenance phase. I'm just kind of cruising along, feeling good, not thinking too much about how much I eat or anything like that. And, and I'm performing pretty well. Okay. But I do have a pretty ambitious goal for the later part of the fall. And I'm kind of interested in, in dropping five pounds if that's something I can do in a sustainable and healthy way. And yeah. I've kind of taken this too far in the past. I'm a little bit hesitant about it. I also want to make sure that if I do get a little lighter, I don't stay down there too long. I want to, you know, bounce back and, and be at a good, healthy maintenance phase. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, what, what might that look like? Like, what are some of the things you would guide me through 
in that process? Yeah. Um, okay, good. That's that's a good way to reference Matt then because we just worked through that for Hypno with him okay. too. Um, so the first thing we talk about seriously is that weight has purpose. So we never want to just lose weight for the sake of losing weight because your body includes bones, it includes muscle, it includes ligaments and organs and water you know, all these things hold weight in a different way. And so in losing fat itself and losing only fat in a healthy way, then we first start by raising the protein ratio hmm. specifically, and that stays consistent. And then the calorie range will have a slight deficit usually in a lower on the spectrum, so between 20 to 30% fat ratio of your entire calorie range, then we'll go lower on the fat spectrum because it takes up more space calorically and still have a priority towards carbohydrates so that it can continue to deliver that protein ratio well within okay. a set calorie amount. And usually that's a pretty slight deficit because as I was talking about earlier, calories are opportunities. So whenever you want to lose fat more efficiently in a safe way, it's better to move differently. And so hmm. um, like part of that process with Matt has been taking some fasted walks more often before eating breakfast. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then walking even later in the day, an extra time or two, because that low energy expenditure is where your fat thrives as energy. In other words, your body uses fat as an actual energy source, very specifically. So if you do a really intense workout, the first energy source is going to be carbohydrates. And if your body doesn't have carbohydrates to use, it actually goes to protein next and will huh. turn protein into a source of carbohydrate, which is what becomes dangerous if you were to suddenly do extreme sprints on a fasted stomach, then now you're potentially going to be hurting the goal by pulling from protein your muscle sources instead okay so that becomes an interesting topic but on the basics if you can talk during the workout or the energy expenditure then you can probably do it fasted safely and that's where if your body has extra fat to spare in a healthy way then it'll go towards that first because the idea is you know you're fasted from a full night's sleep and you haven't eaten any breakfast yet so okay yeah so stay in that stay in that aerobic zone and you'll your body will prioritize fat oxidation mm -hmm. cool and, yeah. and for people that are interested i talked with steve bechtel quite a bit about aerobic capacity and he gave mm -hmm. some really good guidelines for for what that should look like if you're trying to you know go on a walk or or whatever and stay in the aerobic zone as far as like some cues for intensity oh cool what would that morning walk look like for Matt? Um, well, it can vary. The length itself isn't extremely picky. Usually it's average 30 minutes um, to an hour of that walk. And it can be a really nice time to start the day well because he listens to different podcasts than I do, for example. But listening to a good podcast or audiobook or music can really set the tone of your day well. Hmm. Uh, on top of getting outside – which for most, especially climbers, relate to, that's a really healthy place to be mentally. So that's usually what that looks like is taking a 30 to 60 minute fasted walk in the morning. And it doesn't have to be every day. 
But a couple times a week is smart, probably for most people to, you know, yeah. just to find how do I respond? How do I feel when I start my day differently? But when it comes to cutting, that's a really gentle and intentional way of targeting what needs to be targeted without abusing or sacrificing things we've worked hard for, which is really important. So NASA breaks that down itself in that with really intentional techniques for gaining muscle and consistency, it's difficult for most people, even beginners, to build half a pound of muscle even in a month. Hmm. And so if we just cut drastically without understanding what how that works, then we can really hurt the hard work we've earned. You know, and that that muscle is while it weighs something, it's also really powerful towards your goal, right? So that strength to weight ratio is tricky, but it's really not worth sacrificing a lot of muscle in order to be lighter either. Mm. If that muscle is so strategically trained to do what you need it to do in the first place. Mm-hmm. Okay. So fasted walks in the morning, 30 to 60 minutes. Is that like at mm-hmm. a casual pace, kind of slightly brisk pace? Any guidance there? Yeah. Um, it's usually at a fairly brisk pace is safe. Okay. But conversational. Yeah. Fairly, yeah. Fairly brisk pace. And then when uh, um, I do it, sometimes I'll break into a very short, like at most 30 second jog okay. to get my heart rate up a little bit. But then I walk immediately because the goal is not to be in the jog the entire time. Okay. Um, but just to get my heart rate at a steady pace, I want it to be. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I call it a fasted walk jog. <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah, the real power and productivity will be in fueling the energy that needs to be fueled and targeting the stored energy that needs to be targeted um, when it can be, you know. Okay. So, yeah. And that cutting, like you kind of mentioned, isn't meant to be um, sustainable forever uh-huh. necessarily, but um, it's it's a healthy way of finding what is excess and then tweaking those macros, specifically that protein is really important and then prioritizing that you're still getting fats you're still getting carbohydrates you know because each one has a purpose okay gotcha so it's just the fasted walks and then maybe a slight caloric deficit coming from slightly lower fat keep the protein high keep the carbohydrates there to be able to fuel your your training mm-hmm. and how if i were trying to lose five pounds to target this project in the fall what would be the recommended timeline for that? How long should I take? How gradually should I try to lose that weight? Yeah, I would set a five-week to six-week, maybe seven-week goal, depending on how. So the factor there lies in how just how lean you already are. Okay. Um, in which if you're, say, already at an 8% body fat, then pretending like you could safely, safely use or lose Five pounds real, really fast like that wouldn't be healthy, right? Yeah. But on the flip side, if you're at a slightly higher ratio of like 15% ratio, then one to two pounds per week is healthy. Okay. And, um, and maintainable too. Okay. So, you know, then, you know, I'm not sure exactly what body fat you're at. 
You know, right. I, I haven't done a DEXA in quite some time, but I have done them in the okay. past and I, I have a pretty good idea. I would say I'm probably like 11 or 12% right now. Okay. Okay. So, you know, from instinct now, I would say probably give yourself a seven week goal. So you have some flexibility. Okay. And then um, doing more of those low energy expenditure movements throughout the day with a slight calorie deficit from what you're, what you're used to. Okay. Would be good. Okay. Yeah. And that should be reasonable. Cause then even if you're on the quote, lower range of a healthy range, losing one to two pounds, if you lose about one pound per week, then you're, you're giving yourself a cushion to reach that goal and mm. also respond to how your body's responding. And you can tweak it, you know, in the middle, say two weeks in three weeks in, uh, yeah. And interpret what's working. Cool. Okay. Thanks for that. That's super helpful. What about on the flip side? What if Matt is in a bulking phase or an off-season strength phase? He's just like, I'm going to eat and I'm going to get as strong as I possibly can and not worry about my weight as much right now. What what did some of the changes look like for that kind of a phase? Yeah, so his changes would be um, inherently being a, a bit less intentional. So he relaxes on how closely he's paying attention to those exact protein numbers every meal. Um, he still eats quality versions like it's it's kind of funny to talk to him about it because he'll nickname it a binge day when he ate two oreos <laughs> like that that's not binging <laughs> not even close but um so his you know his version of letting loose is going to be drastically different than some others but um he relaxes and it's not stressful for him so he's built strong habits from he has incredible self-discipline. You know, when he's like for hypno, when he was really focused on that goal, then it was very honed in, you know, <laughs> making sure he was very aware of the quality, the timing and intention behind really every macro um, food group rather he was eating. But then when he's in a bulking phase is he doesn't ever have like, Oh, I'm going to intentionally eat. 50 or 100 grams more carbohydrates. He doesn't bulk that way like a bodybuilder might. Okay. And probably actually would intentionally adjust because it is still a strength to weight ratio. Instead, he'll just be more free with the choices of each food group he makes. And he's okay with sacrificing 12 grams of carbohydrates towards Oreos <laughs> instead of 12 grams that come from sweet potato, black bean burgers, or, you know, something like that. Okay. okay. So, so, okay. He yeah. just kind of relaxes a little bit, mm -hmm. enjoys life. Yeah kicks yeah, his heels and up eats two oreos yeah exactly right <laughs> splurges on two oreos uh, what, what were you starting to say uh i was saying that's that's the beauty of building habit mm. is that when you get into the habit that it feels natural that when you relax you can enjoy the treats actually more and you still have the foundation so he never has a day where like every single meal is thrown out the window and now he's you know eating a latte for breakfast and going to a fancy pancake place for breakfast and then also going to Chick-fil-A at dinner. Mm -hmm. or you know, like that day doesn't exist in his life because it's not just about his goals. Like it's who he is. Yeah. Climbing is who he is yeah. and taking care of his body and really, you know, just caring about his overall health is part of who he is. And so it's when it's no longer about, you know, I can't have this versus I don't want this. That's how he's shaped his identity, and that's that's ultimately the goal, too, and why I'm passionate about sharing why things work or why things donate to performance or donate to even longevity 
because then it changes how we look at food and even our actions. And it becomes about, okay, do I want this instead of, oh, I can't have that. I can't wait till the day I can just, you know, go haywire and (laughs) throw this into my body. Yeah, it is something that's so cool to me is that our tastes really do change. My mm-hmm. my diet was terrible when I was in you know when I was a teenager and even into college, mm-hmm. and I I eat completely differently than I did five years ago, and it's kind of happened through a bunch of small little iterations and changes and things. And I get this all the time where people will see what I eat in a given day, and they'll be like, "Oh my god, you're so disciplined," or you know this that. And I'm like, this is just what I want to eat, actually. Like, I'm not, I'm enjoying it, and this is this is how I eat now, and it's great. Oh, I love that. Yeah, but it it yeah, it takes time. But the cool thing is your your taste really changed, and a lot of the things that I was such a sucker for for most of my life, you know, I I always had such a a sweet tooth for baked goods, Mm. muffins, scones, anything like that, and I don't I don't anymore. (laughs) It's totally shifted, but it, it took. You know, it took a lot of different habits and a lot of time to to shift that. But, you know, now I have other vices. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, and flavor is not a bad thing. Yeah. You know, it's we were created to enjoy and find joy in things. And flavor is a beautiful thing to actually find joy in. But I love that you say the palate changed because while I I can't relate to not wanting baked goods, I still have a sweet tooth and I love them. I certainly want vegetables and i find that Mm. craving really intriguing because Mm -hmm. as a as a teen like you i wouldn't have ever wanted vegetables same but now i truly want vegetables and be like i really feel like uh you know this kind of salad or this kind of veggie blend or stir fry or like i really crave this and it's just not special it's not the same if i had a donut for every meal Mm. you know Mm -hmm. so yeah i relate (laughs) Cool. Well, Haley, I would love to, I have a few more general questions I'd love to get into with you, more about you. Um, But before that, I was wondering if we could give people kind of a summary to this point as far as like some of the bigger ticket items that people can can think about. So we've covered higher protein. We've covered Mm -hmm. eating more, you know, consistent meals throughout the day, focusing on getting 20 plus grams of protein per meal, um, Mm -hmm. you know, mixing in some some carbohydrates, maybe some fat to buffer your glycemic index, that sort of thing. Um, You know, you talked about giving yourself grace to enjoy food, enjoy treats when, you know, when you're in a social setting where that makes sense, that sort of thing. Are there any other things that I, that I missed? Any things that come to mind that you want to make sure that people leave with? Um, I mean, you did a really great job in summarizing. And I think the just one of my favorite emphasis is to add to that is that calories are not evil and they're not created equal, but every um, food is a unique package with a purpose. Hmm. And so, you know, we, instead of demonizing food we're seeing it, ha- seeing how it's meant to sabotage us instead learning why and how nature was meant to meet nature's needs. And that can really work to our benefit for longevity as well as our immediate performance goals. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Haley, how old are you? Do you mind if I ask you that? No, I don't mind. I'm 28. 28. Okay. Is there any advice that you wish you could give to your 20 year old self? Yes. (laughs) Um, Wait, to my 28 year old self or my 20 year old self? To your 20 year old self. Okay. 
Yes. Um, so at 20 years old, I was still in college. Okay. And my whole life, I've been a perfectionist. And so for a long time, that meant that I re- had to really prioritize my time. And that meant that I was extremely, in fact, chronically sleep deprived mm. by the time I left college. And it started in high school. So if I could t- talk to my 20-year-old self very seriously, it would be that sleep and people are really worth prioritizing over doing things or rehashing things over and over, like feeling perfect at the, especially, obviously, schoolwork specifically. Hmm. And in fact, real quality sleep donates to make everything else we do in our day more productive. So I wouldn't have had to spend, you know, (laughs) nine hours studying for that test if I'd gotten a few hours extra sleep because I'd remember what I studied, you know? (laughs) That was a big one to me. Okay. How much sleep do you try to get now? Um, now I almost consistently get eight hours of sleep. Okay. And I know that'll hit me in the long time future someday uh, when God wants us to have kids. But for now, <laughs> eight hours is a really good spot that I naturally wake up um, after. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I tell, I mean, any college student that I know, and I have a few in my life, and my family, I try to remind them that even six hours is going to go a lot farther than the three or four that I consistently got. Oh, wow. Man, that's rough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's cool to say, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. But, well, how, you know, quality of life matters yeah. and how present we can be. And how we spend our time, time is ultimately the most valuable thing, the most limited thing we have. So, yeah. Yeah, and there's so much science coming out about sleep. I I talked to Charlie Manganiello on the podcast, and I think he said, you know, if he's come to believe that if there is a magic bullet, it might be sleep. If there's Mm -hmm. any one thing that we should all be focused more on. And yeah, he shared Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. I think he mentioned that book. and I. I highly recommend that for people. I'll write it down. If they still think that it's a good idea to just sleep when you're dead. Right. <laughs> it just sounds so so much cooler. I know, than totally. Saying, I gotta yeah, go to Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Oh, and like that'll I mean for athletes, especially that'll on top of the regenerative cycle of our REM sleep we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. This is something I'm new to, but I've been learning about our natural hormone cycles throughout mm. the day and even how it's different for men and women, you know, how women most stereotypically with our periods cycle to every 28 days ish in a healthy cycle. But men do that every day in a different way. Whoa. Okay. And so that, um, and I'm, like I said, I'm just learning about it, but I'm really excited about it because it affects how we sleep based on how we eat throughout the day and how we move and how we organize and schedule our day and how we sleep will then affect those same hormone cycles the next day. And so throwing that off donates to a lot of other functionals or functions and imbalances in our bodies, but especially athletically. Hmm. So that whole catching up on sleep isn't just a mental joke. Like it's actually a real thing where our hormones have to catch up again. Hmm. So prioritize when you want a night climb. (laughs) (laughs) This is fun to learn about. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Cool. I'm excited to check back in with you in a a little while. And once you've learned more about it and really geek out on, on on some of that (laughs) stuff. Yeah. And I'll read that book. Why we sleep. Who was it by again? Matthew Walker. Matthew Walker. Yeah, I'll share it in the show notes for people. Okay. 
Is there any new belief or habit that has most changed your life in the last few years? Yeah, and that's that's probably most situated around that topic of prioritizing my time. But really in that you can't prioritize, you can't say a true yes to what's most important to you if you're saying yes to everything. Hmm. And if you're saying yes to everything and spreading yourself too thin, like I did uh, very thoroughly in college, then you're inherently saying no to at least a little bit or too much of a no than what's worth it to the things that are really important to you. Hmm. And so that's that's hard to learn the hard way, but it's been worth realizing and learning over time that that's, you know, I should never feel guilty about prioritizing and spending time on things that are important to me or saying a no to something else, hmm. you know? Yeah. I struggle with that same thing. Is there anything that... How do I ask this? When it comes to saying no, that's often such a hard thing to do because we do want to do all the all the things, you know? Yeah. Is there any anything you've learned or wish you'd known earlier about saying no, how to do that gracefully? Yeah. I mean, it's always a a process, right? And how I've learned isn't inherently going to be how everyone else learns. But inherently saying no is realizing that you can't do better than your best and our best is worth a lot. (laughs) And that, that, that combination is actually really important because it gives us room to grow and to interpret and realize, ah, I wish I hadn't spent time on that or, or hindsight. I'm so glad I spent time on that. Or, you know, I spent time with this person instead of that. And that learning process at the same time, you know, it carries us into wanting to be better. And that's something beautiful about the human population is that we are so good at wanting to be better and that drive. And hmm. so, you know, being willing to say no or, or sacrifice things and let things go is really just such a powerful way of honoring who we are and who we're meant to be and who we want to be because we're, you know, we get to choose that. So that's, it's more like how I talk to myself in the how part of it. Mm. It's how I talk to myself has changed. You know, when before, especially in my adolescent years, it would be around the, well, you, you know, in hindsight, you didn't do that because you're not good enough or because you're not this enough or, you know, instead it becomes a more honest conversation and more real, a more real conversation about myself and with myself. And that's, I mean, we're the only ones who are with ourselves 24 seven. So how we talk to ourselves is very important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder if this, uh, if this question will tie into that. You and I touched on it briefly at the start of the conversation, but I'd love to ask what is one of the best decisions you've ever made? And for listeners, I gave you the, I, I did have a caveat. I said, you can't say marrying Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, dang it. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you'd make the top of the list anyway, but just throwing that out there. Sure. Well, I found a loophole in that. Um, <laughs> that it might not have been about marrying Matt. Okay. <laughs> but um, what stands out, because it was a really scary decision in my life, but it was a huge turning point, was when I chose to move from Idaho to Salt Lake hmm. to be close to Matt and not be long distance. We had just started and we just officially decided to date. And so... In realizing, like, if I'm serious about this relationship, then I need to experience and we need to experience on a daily or, a, you know, a common basis, an easier basis in person. Mm-hmm. And so 
um, when I moved there, it was actually a domino effect into so much more of who I am today in that I didn't know exactly how or where I was going with that. I just had a goal and I was like, okay, what stepping stones will take me there? And those stepping stones have carried me into such a beautiful part of life I would have never discovered before, which is carried in this whole topic of nutrition because I just looked for any job that would be exciting. And at that point it was like, okay, working at Sprouts would be <laughs> fun. I love food. I liked oat mega bars. That was the first <laughs> thing I tried from Sprouts. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I can work at I can work at Sprouts. Is Sprouts a grocery I, store? Yeah. Okay. It's it's on uh Utah is where it started, but they have some in Colorado too. Okay. It's a it's a fun grocery store. And when I applied, they went, Oh, she's a personable person. She's um, you know, she enjoys learning. We should put her in the vitamin department. Hmm. And I went, Oh, Okay. And like inside, I was like, I could make that fun. I could make a boring department fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was my honest reaction. Of course, not outwardly. I accepted the position. But when I got to the department, I realized just how much it fit all of my passions in helping people and so many areas of life that it is like, it wasn't just vitamins. Vitamins aren't just a woohoo thing. They're actual real parts of our life that you know, are attached to food, et cetera, et cetera. And on went the rabbit hole that has supported who I am today and hmm. how I look at herbs and food and the op packages of opportunity I talk about. And to me, like, you, you know, my Instagram handle is food is a love language. Mm -hmm. Well, supplements are a love language to me too. And it's because <laughs> of that accidental stepping stone that really was to get closer to Matt you know, my bigger umbrella priority that then led me on a bigger, you know, uh, to open a door into who I am and how I can serve the world today hmm. in a completely different way. So honor the stepping stones. All that. <laughs> that is so cool. Do you have any daily routines that you treat as particularly important for yourself? Um, yeah. And it changes okay. you know, a little bit depending on what phase I'm in, but the routines that are special to me and that I'm always trying to tweak and, you know, honor a little bit more in different ways is my morning routines. And so I love getting up really early when the sun is just rising and prioritizing something mindset wise. And so sometimes it feels good to clean and listen to a podcast or fulfilling music to me or an audiobook that fits what I feel like I'm trying to grow in in life at that moment. Hmm. Sometimes it looks like baking or meal prepping to, you know, again, serve my future self and what I know I'm planning for. Sometimes it looks like going on one of those fasted walks, but it always includes like focusing on something mindful and just creating space for me to be with myself and grow my relationship with myself hmm. and that, I mean, I'm not perfect at it. It's not like every single day it happens exact, exactly how I want it to be, but um, it's important to me and I've gotten much better at it as I get older. And every time it just reinforces how important, important it is to me mm -hmm. is that morning routine. There's something special about at least thinking the rest of the world is asleep and you <laughs> have space to navigate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Morning's a really special time for that. Yeah. Would you be willing to share as far as listening to a podcast or an audio book and working on self-growth in, in some specific topic area? Is there something that you've been focusing on lately in, in that arena? Um, or excited about? 
Yeah, it's it's changed a little bit. I love audiobooks, so I'm listening to a few different ones um, right now that some are with health. One is called, um, I think it's called Bullseye. Okay. And that one's really cool for targeting goals and like life mindset and getting focused with intention. And then I like some political ones. Maybe I shouldn't mention <laughs> on a podcast. And then, That's fair. Um, yeah. And then I love music right now. My favorite, and it goes back to nostalgic, the peace and identity I found growing up that simplifies things for me is Zoe group and okay. it's an acapella worship group basically but acapella especially resonates okay. with me because i grew up in an acapella church okay and so that um, is one of my most uh grounding things to me okay when there's a lot to focus on and i know my day is going to hold a lot of productivity maybe but also a lot of chaos potentially mm-hmm. you know it just grounds me first thing in the day so that's been my go-to lately because i have a lot of moving parts okay. in my day but i love it so gotcha cool i'll link to bullseye and zoe group is that what you said yeah. Zoe Group. How do you spell that? Z O E Group. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'll link to that as well. Haley, what is something that you have been feeling especially grateful for lately? Um, it might sound cliche, but kind people. Oh, I love yeah, it. It's... I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you. Because, I mean, I'm, you know, if you get to know me a lot more, I'm a pretty big cheese ball, but (laughs) it's usually grounded. Um, And most people probably relate to similar disappointments and seeing how people treat each other Hmm. in a really politically charged time. And so the kind people that rise up or and especially the real people in our life really become extra special in this time. And I'm just so grateful for people who are willing to kind of be uh, the reminder that while some there are real challenges in life, there are also equally real blessings. And those kind people are some of them. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. What about something that you're excited about right now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> right now, the most exciting and a little bit scary, but that's the best part about new things is that we just got uh, an RV. We got a motorhome. Max and I did. And we, we, you know, we're no longer the people who said we will do this or we want to do this. You're like, doing we it. did it. You did yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> we bought it. And so it's always going to be a we will in some regard because RVs are always a learning process. But what an exciting learning curve, and mm-hmm. I'm excited to be doing it. You know, I'm not in it alone. Matt and I are in it together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really exciting awesome. right now. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So you mentioned your Instagram. I'll link to that in the show notes. I'll link to your Facebook profile. And I'll also link to OTG Strength and, yeah, um, your, yeah your guys' website and your Instagram for that as well. I'd love to ask, what could a client expect if someone's excited to work with you after hearing this and excited about getting nutritional guidance for their climbing? What might someone expect from that experience? What does that experience look like for your clients? Yeah. um, Well, they can expect to get out of it what they put into it. Okay. So I have, of course, like a scaffold and um, tools that are ready for launching, but the energy and how exactly that looks often ends up being about the needs that they have met and how engaged they are. So, you know, I have some clients who are um, pretty diligent about 
responding and back and forth engagement every like, you know, two or three times a week. And then I have others who are pretty independent and they will reach out for their big questions and get some um, solid tools or wait for me to send out a new tool I just created or announce a new recipe or things like that. But everyone is willing and usually like, you know, in their natural curiosity, they draw from me differently. And so the process and the quality ends up becoming more personalized the more the more they are willing to be honest and ask questions and share and grow together. It's all shaped by communication, and that's what makes it so special, especially when you work with both Matt and I, is you get that very customized experience of what you want out of it, and we love responding to those or that kind of energy back. Mm. We have some really, really special clients. I'm grateful for all of them. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, are you guys taking new clients right now? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's definitely busy. Like we're growing and we're having some transparency of looking at like, okay, exactly how many can we have and um, how do we streamline certain parts so that we can spend extra energy on, you know, really thorough detail here, et cetera. But um yeah, it's kind of an ebb and flow because we have some clients who maybe they worked with us for four months and then they're like, OK, I'm going to take a break and come back at the season or, mm. you know, whatever that might look like. And so new clients will always be encouraged and invited to come on at okay. any time and we'll always be honest if it's not a good time or what is a good time for them in both parties combined. But yeah, for sure, um, we have two different application places one specifically for nutrition one specifically for fitness and always get um, a little bit of feedback immediately and transparency on what that looks like for them on, on how we can best fit their goals okay so yeah. I'll, I'll link to both of those in the show notes if someone's looking to to get involved with your guys coaching do they apply for each of those do they fill out a questionnaire for both nutrition and training or just pick one um, it kind of depends. Most people pick one to start. Usually okay. what they feel is like their gap or their greatest need. But eventually, like say you were to start with the fitness one and decide you wanted the Apex program for the whole package, then you would end up getting my questionnaire anyway because I still need to know in order to help okay. and guide you, right? But yeah, it can be either way. You'll access both of us somehow you know, by applying to either one because Matt and I communicate closely on what's happening even though matt's forte is fitness and mine is the nutrition side we're very um yeah we just talk to each other a lot about each client and what's going on so that we can shape each part okay so, awesome yeah all right Haley. i have one final question for you and this one okay. comes from your facebook page okay. there's a great little quote that you shared on there and it says life is short eat dessert first <laughs> it sounds like that yeah. was uh, advice from your grandfather growing up. Yeah. But I was talking to Matt about the hypnotized minds thing and the cheat day. You know, he, he planned to have a whole cheat day with you following uh -huh. his, his send. And obviously, you know, people can pick up from listening to this that going out and eating junk food is not a normal part of your life. And I'm sure that was an incredibly rare and special <laughs> occasion. So I'd love to ask yeah. on a special and rare cheat day like that, what was a favorite treat that you went for on that day? Oh, hmm. <laughs> that's hard because, so we went somewhere on that day, we went to Pearl street and went and like 
allowed ourselves to stop at our favorite fudge place. And so that was the treat of the day. But we went on a grocery trip too, like a grocery trip that we both joked, like, you will never see this grocery haul again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It wasn't like a whole cart full of things, but it was like a few pre-planned nostalgic items. Okay. And my favorite ended up being the Oreos Mm. in that regard. Which turns out, by the way, if you put one Oreo into a shake, after you blend all the other ingredients, then it becomes just like a wonderful flavor <laughs> to make a cookies and cream style shake. Oof. And that was that was the thing I missed now that they're gone too. <laughs> <laughs> well, my Oreo shakes just aren't the same. But <laughs> another V16 will be sent. And then... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was my, probably my favorite. Fudge and Oreos. Oreos. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. Well, Haley, this has been incredibly fun. Yeah, I agree. It was great to geek out with you via email, but it was a lot more fun to talk to you over the phone and, and get a chance to do this. So thank you so much uh-huh. for, for everything that you've shared and for the time. And best of luck with this new chapter in the RV. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I agree. It's so much more fun you know, getting the chance to experience in person and, you know, each other's personalities differently and geeking out in very real time. And what a fun time. So thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. My pleasure. Enjoy the rest of the day and I will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. You likewise. Okay. Have a good day. Take care. Bye.